We are going to be doing an experiment today with this podcast episode. It's an experiment with something that I had previously said I would not do, but I've been convinced by some very good and uh, influential friends in my life that I need to try this. So, we're going to go out into the unknown together. And I invite you to join me as we have an unscripted, hazardous conversation. Trigger warning disclaimer. Hazardous Conversations pushes rhetorical boundaries for acceptable political discourse. Listening to this program could have the uncomfortable side effect of provoking deep intellectual inquiry into foundational principles of liberty. Listener discretion is advised. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. I have been convinced that I need to learn how to speak extemporaneously. Now, the reality is I've always known how to speak extemporaneously. That's never been my qualm about doing that with the podcast. My reasoning, which I've explained before, is that I tend to be bright, shiny object very tangential with the way that I speak sometimes. I will get fascinated with something, uh, will pop into my mind, and I'll kind of run with it, and it can create some, well, convoluting and confusing uh, challenges for whoever may be listening. So I wanted to avoid that, but I also, in this podcast, want to bring history to bear um, and sound, thoughtful um, consideration to topics. And I felt, and I still somewhat feel this way, that I could do that best by scripting out my episodes, knowing exactly what I want to say, how I want to say it, to make sure that I say everything that I want to say or that I say it um, in a way that I think makes the most amount of sense. The problem is that in doing that, I tend to be a little too academic um, and I take forever to write it. Hence the long spacing in between uh, previous episodes. Hence the long spacing between this episode and the one previous. Now, there's other reasons why it's been an age since my last episode, and a lot of that has to do with our homestead. Um, Getting that up and running, getting the YouTube channel with that, and we'll get one on Rumble too, but right now we've got the Hazardous Liberty Homestead YouTube channel. Go check that out to see all the adventures that we're up to with that. But that's been taking up a lot of our time. And I've had some, I wouldn't call them struggles, but challenges with employment since moving down here. Um, The private sector isn't the public sector, which is a good thing. Um, And there were a few hiccups, let's say. And I started down one path that I thought was going to be right, and it turned out to be very wrong. But thankfully... I had another path set in front of me that I was able to divert to, and now I'm happy as a clam. So, with all that being said, let's get into this episode's topic. 
And it's I've actually got three topics that I think are related. In fact, they are related, but um, they may not be obviously related. So I'm going to attempt to string them together. The first one, obviously, the election, the midterm elections. Now, if you followed my Facebook page, the Hazardous Liberty Facebook page, uh, since I really started getting really into um, being a political activist rather than just a political actor, I don't think this should be any surprise, this result should be any surprise to any of us. I think that a lot of people allowed themselves to believe the hype, the national media hype, the uh, national party hype, whatever it was, and, and believing that there was going to be a red wave. And I just, I never saw it. And I think I've been pretty consistent about that over at least the, the better part of the, the last year. We left Washington State partly because we did not believe that a red wave was possible, that that state could ever change. And we've seen it proven played out uh, you know forgive me if you're listening and you you're not familiar with washington state politics or the things going on there uh the, a lot of people that follow the facebook page that's where you know me from and my activism there but um i still refer to it because it's it's what i know i'm getting used to my new political home and believe me i will start talking about it more uh the more i get familiar with it but this midterm was kind of my last little look back at uh, the state that we left. And one of the reasons that we left was because of exactly what we saw play out in the election, which is it's hard to put into a single term, but it's basically the Republican Party conservatives in the state of Washington do not know who they are. And what I mean by that is they maybe a better way to say it is that they're afraid to be who they are. There are the power brokers, the the so-called mainstream Republicans and they are they they call themselves the mainstream Republicans and they're and they believe themselves to be the rightful masters of the Republican Party. They've been left in control of the Republican Party for the last several decades. So why wouldn't they feel that way, especially when a bunch of upstart conservatives decide they want to start, you know, having a say in the party politics? When I got really involved back in 2018, I slammed headlong into this. The Washington State Republican Party does not want to be a conservative party. They are deathly afraid of it. They want to be liked. They want to be Democrat light. They want to have just slightly less obnoxious policies than the leftists. And they think that, that, that that's a winning program. They think that that's a winning strategy. And they doubled down on that with this election. They refused to support the true conservatives in the, that were running for offices. And as a result, uh, those races were lost, but m largely the, the other races were lost as well. Tiffany Smiley, wonderful lady. I could back her, 
but she was never going to have a chance in that state. And I saw that in 2018. I saw it again in 2020. And 2022 has bared that out. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know why anyone is surprised. Now, why did this election end up the way that it did? Well, I put it on my Facebook page. I think abortion was the issue, was the driving issue of this election. Up until the Roe decision was leaked, which isn't it amazing they haven't found the leaker yet? Amazing, quote unquote. Ever since that decision was leaked, this election was going to be about abortion. And I knew it then. We should have all known it then. I think we were trying to delude ourselves into believing that with how horrible Biden does, with how wrecked the economy is, with all of these factors going into it, with the mutilation of our children, the sexualization of our children, all of these things that there was just going to be this massive backlash. And the overturning of Roe came and just completely counterbalanced that ship and put it, swung it back to the Democrats because what it became at that point was not a logical, reasoned, hey, my economics stink under these policies. It wasn't a, hey, you are attacking my children under these policies. It was you're trying to take away the right to murder babies. And whether we like it or not, there is an entire generation of people who have been brought up to believe that that is not only okay, but that that is sacred and that is something to be protected at all costs. And it became an emotional election. And no, it wasn't about Trump. It wasn't about January 6th. And unfortunately it wasn't about children. It, it, please understand those things did not have the impact that you are being told they have. Or you may even believe. You may be one of those people who's saying Trump, you know, the, the era of Trump is gone. We've got to get rid of him to move on. He's so toxic to the party, blah, 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 blah. You might be one of those who say we didn't embrace Trump enough or he's still fighting the establishment. And you know what? You're both right to a certain extent and you're both wrong to a certain extent. But the fact of the matter is Trump played zero relevance in terms of the races that mattered that would have made this a red wave. He he had zero effect. And he probably, if he hears me say that, will put me on his shit list. But that's reality. He had no effect once the Roe decision became a factor. Now, the other part of the election is fraud. And yes, I'm going to call it fraud. Textbook definition of fraud. It's when something is not what it's advertised to be. Our elections in many places in this country are outright frauds. They are not what they're advertised to be. I don't even have to get into, you know, accusations of malicious intent with voting machines, with, you know, erroneous ballot drops or anything like that. Just to point out, when you have no chain of custody, when you allow ballots with no dates, so they do, you have no idea when they got cast, when you do not 
verify the people who are voting are even eligible to vote. That is fraud. That is outright fraud. I don't care if it's in statute and codified in law. That is making a mockery of any logical, sound, reasoned approach to elections. You wouldn't find that in any other instance other than American politics. So what do we see? Washington State, all mail-in balloting, absolutely no accountability, rife with fraud. Who wins elections? What do we see? Pennsylvania, they're accepting ballots that have no dates on them uh, from who knows where. Mail-in ballots, early voting, suspicious. Who wins? Georgia, it's going to be close. Do you really think that Herschel Walker is going to pull that out in, in the, uh, the runoff? Absolutely not. Arizona, you could say 50-50. But two elections in a row, they can't seem to get their stuff together, right? I mean, these the places that have problems continue to have problems, not because of incompetence. Well, some of it is, but because of chosen incompetence, because willful incompetence, because people are choosing to accept a fraud, a falsehood as truth or as something to be positive. And... As long as that stays the way that it is in those places, they're they're lost. I'm sorry, but they're lost. I'll get back to that in a second. Getting back to Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis and whoever is going to be the front runner and yada, yada, yada. Referencing a post that I made on my Facebook page. I didn't really have it. I wouldn't call it an epiphany, but I had this realization that Christians today, and and I'll I'll include anyone of faith um, that that really wants to see in a leader strong principles and a faith driven approach to how they govern. It's not just Christians. Uh, I believe that there are Muslims that want that. I believe that there are Jews that want that. I believe that there are Hindus that want that. I actually think that there are atheists or agnostics that want that to a certain extent. They want principled leadership. But specifically from a Christian perspective, because I'm Christian, and so I can speak to my own perspective. The qualities that make somebody more adept, more likely to succeed in today's political climate, especially the higher up in office that you go, are polar opposites of the qualities that we're called to be as leaders in Scripture. And this got me thinking about the, the dilemma that Jews had in the first century when confronted with Jesus. This, here was the Messiah promised them by Scripture, fulfilling absolutely every prophecy about who the Messiah is and what the Messiah has to be. For God's plan, not for man's plan. And they couldn't see it because they had gotten wrapped up in their own minds their idea of what the Messiah ought to be. This warrior king that would kick Romans' butts all the way back to Rome and restore the throne of David and Israel and all of its earthly glory. And they couldn't see the leader that God said, no, 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 no. This is what the Messiah is. Now, 
please don't misunderstand. I am not saying Donald Trump is the Messiah, and I'm not saying Ron DeSantis or any political leader is or should be. What I'm saying is that Christians especially, and anyone of faith, needs to have a serious conversation with themselves as far as what they want out of a leader or out of a representative. And you can do that to varying degrees with different political offices, but specifically for the office of president, I'm not necessarily looking for a pastor in that role. I'm not looking for a church elder in that role. I don't know that I'm necessarily even looking for a quote-unquote godly man in that role because I don't believe a godly man can fill that role and do the things necessary, wade through all of the crap and nonsense of political um, toxicity that exists and hold to their his Christian principles, his or her Christian principles, while doing so. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying I, I don't see it. I'm saying that it defies my imagination to see someone that could take on the deep state swamp the way that it needs to be taken on in a godly Christian way and maintain that. Now, hand in hand with that, I think you also have to remember numerous times throughout Scripture, God has used ungodly men to achieve his purposes for the betterment of his people and to the glory of his kingdom from cyrus in persia nebuchadnezzar to a certain extent with daniel you have instance after instance of ungodly men being placed in positions of leadership and power to preserve the nation of israel and later to preserve christianity you can go from the time of Christ through the present day and you can find numerous examples where we used to, you know, in, in history, uh, we used to call them the great men theory. Um, and some still do to a certain extent. But, you know, these great figures throughout history that have been in unique positions and possess unique qualities and abilities to accomplish what can only be described in hindsight as divine providence to bring about um, an outcome that so clearly impacts humanity in a positive way and Christendom in a positive way. And the more you learn about those people individually, the more you realize that they weren't really particularly godly men necessarily. Some were. Some were to greater and lesser degrees, just as we all are to greater and lesser degrees. But my point is, when looking at... Who I want to send to Washington in the office of the president, I don't necessarily want someone who displays all of the scriptural virtues. To a certain extent, you need some pride. To a certain extent, you need some brashness. And to a certain extent, you need to have a little bit of arrogance, I think, in order to really thrive in that environment. Are they absolutely necessary? No. But I guess what I'm saying is that they're not disqualifiers. I don't look at somebody like Donald Trump and say those are disqualifying aspects. 
Do I wish he would take a different track? Yeah, sometimes I do. Do I understand when he makes unnecessary attacks? No, I don't. But those things are not disqualifying in my opinion. So, as I said on my Facebook page, if he decides that he's going to run, I'm going to support him. If Ron DeSantis decides he's going to run, I'm also going to support him. I'll share my thoughts on which one I think should be it. And then I'll vote in my state's primary when the time comes and we'll see how the chips fall out. I don't mind trusting the process to produce that. But I'm not going to get sucked into the let's destroy each other game while our real enemy is advancing so quickly and so rapidly in other areas. If we can't figure out how to unite on our side against the real enemies of the left or on the left, I should say, then why, what are we fighting amongst ourselves even over now getting back to the election? Where do we go from here? What do you do if you find yourself in a blue state that is rife with fraud that has no hope of changing like Washington state? In my opinion, you leave. I left. And for all those people who keep saying, you're a coward, you're running away, you need to stand your ground, we can't, blah, 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 blah. I'll tell you what. You have the courage to stand on principle and lose your $85,000 a year job, forcing your family to move out of the state because you're fearful of what that state can do to your children and you'd be powerless to stop them. Move cross-country and completely start over. You show me that bravery in choosing to stay comfortable where you're at. And then, then maybe we can have a conversation. But my point is, get out. We, Our only hope is federalism. Unabashed, hardcore federalism. Call it states' rights. Call it whatever you want to do. Make the blue even bluer and keep the red as red as possible reinforce buttress grow make red states impenetrable deepen the divide make it stark make it absolutely undeniable that what happens in washington state is due to democrat policies the hell holes of chicago and los angeles and seattle are democrat They own it because they're the only ones who live there. And make places like Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, Texas that thrive, make it unmistakable that it thrives because of conservative principles in policy. Will this lead to a civil war? I don't think it will. Honestly, I don't think it will. Or at least not right away, and at least not in a traditional sense. But if it were to, then it would be a minor blessing to have so starkly drawn those lines where it's unmistakable. If you are in Florida, you are on one side. If you are in Washington, you are on another side. Right now, if a civil war were to break out, there would be no division lines. None that we could recognize. Yeah, it'd be pretty reasonable to say if you're in Washington, California, Oregon, you're on one side. If you're in Florida, Texas, you know, somewhere in the south, you're probably on the other side. But even within those, Austin, 
Houston, um, Little Rock. Uh, there are places within those red states that are still very blue. And there are still some places within those blue states that are very red. I think we need to eliminate that, separate fully, and then let those chips fall where they may. But in doing that, I think we can rediscover federalism. We can rediscover the idea that having states is important. Being able to choose where you live is important. Being able to say, Washington State is no longer the place for my family or it's a dangerous place for my family and having that place still within our own country that we can flee to is important. And it just saddens me to think of how many people are banging their head against brick walls trying to save places that are so clearly fallen, so fallen beyond any recognition, any chance or hope of being turned around until it has a complete and total collapse. There are so many people that are in that situation that I would love to have here with me in Arkansas that I would that I know other states would love to have with them to bolster and buttress and reinforce those states where freedom still exists. Because the reality is the left will not stop. The left cannot allow opposition to its tyranny to exist anywhere. And if there's, if I, I and I shared this today on Twitter and, and on Facebook, of all the distinctions between left and right, the intolerable compulsion of the left to force everyone in a society to live under its tyranny has to be the most stark and the most dangerous. The left has to have you live under its rule. It cannot let you live and let live. It cannot let you homeschool your children because if you homeschool your children, they're not getting indoctrinated with the leftist ideology that is so crucial to their tyranny to survive. So they will be on the attack. They already are on the attack in these places, in Florida, in Arkansas, in Texas, in other red states. They already are on the attack. We need reinforcements to keep them repelled and to expel them from these borders so that we can regroup and then strike out from a position of strength within our own states. Strike out ideologically, but strike out. And that's what I hope people will start to do. Let's not let the presidential election cycle distract us or get us down. Let's always remember who is an ultimate, who ultimately is in control. And remember that all we're asked to do is be faithful to the point of death. So I think uh, that's going to wrap up this experimental episode of hazardous conversations i hope i didn't ramble too much i hope that uh you followed my thinking and whether you agree or disagree with all part please leave me a comment um and give me your feedback let me know what you think uh both of what i said but also of the way that i said it of this new um this new attempt at uh 
extemporaneous talking uh, and sharing. Make sure to visit the uh, face- Hazardous Liberty Facebook page. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, follow this podcast on your favorite podcasting app. We're on Spotify, Apple, uh, Podbean uh, hosts the podcast. Uh, just about anywhere else you can get podcasts. Like it, share it, rate it, comment. Um, all of those things help grow the audience. Share it with anyone who you think might um, enjoy uh, the the conversation. Want to join in the conversation? And uh, visit the website hazardousliberty.com. Follow our YouTube channel for the homestead. And with that, we will wrap this up. So, God be with you all in all that you do. And remember, keep the faith and keep up the fight.